0: This episode of Hong Comedy Writing is brought to you by HBO on Amazon. What if I told you we could combine your love for premium cable with your dependence on online shopping? I bet you'd go pretty crazy. Well, time to go fucking nuts, because now we can. An HBO subscription includes instant streaming of unlimited access to addictive dramas, hilarious comedies, movies, and so much more. Fans of this show will love watching Veep, Silicon Valley, Mr. Show... Curb Your Enthusiasm, which is back and I've been enjoying. I think it's doing okay. I think I think some older episodes are better, but this is certainly still good. I love Curb. Uh, I like how I put my review of Curb into this HBO on Amazon ad. They actually, Curb filmed right outside my apartment in LA like seven months ago, so I can't wait to see the outside of my apartment in the show. Uh, you know, this should be an ad for Curb. I wouldn't have said it was okay. I would have said it. Anyway, Amazon is offering a free seven-day trial for HBO. And you can get it by going to boardwalkaudio.com amazonhbo Amazon HBO. After the trial, you get unlimited access to anything on HBO for just $14.99 a month. That's a good deal for HBO. My parents pay for HBO, and I assume they're paying more than that. Once again, get your seven-day free trial for HBO by going to boardwalkaudio.com slash Amazon HBO. It's not TV. It's HBO. Which is brought to you by Amazon.
1: This is a boardwalk audio podcast on comedy writing,
2: on comedy
1: writing. writing. writing.
0: Thanks for downloading this episode of On Comedy Writing, the podcast about the business and craft of writing comedy. I'm your host, Alan Johnson. We've got a great episode, but first, the best way to support this show is by going to boardwalkaudio.com slash oncomedywriting. Click the Supporter artist button and shop on Amazon like you normally would, and I get a little kickback. Our guest this week is Mitra Juhari, who you know from her comedy group Three Busy Debras, who played at Carnegie Hall, being a writer's assistant on Full Frontal with Samantha B, and writing for The President Show and Miracle Workers. Also, if you're a huge fan of the segment where I pitch a sketch idea, uh, this was a, you know, it was perhaps the most fun I've had doing it, and also quite possibly the last one. As I say in the episode, it's just a very, uh, it's a very awkward thing. (laughs) So if you want me to keep doing it, give me a tweet. I gotta gotta get some response on this, because if people enjoy it, I'll keep doing it, but it's been going kind of strangely. Uh, I've got some episodes already recorded so that you you might hear some more, but I might stop doing it on the new episodes. Uh, Anyway, uh, Mitra's great. Uh, I had a lot of fun recording with her, and here she is, Mitra Juhari. Uh, Mitra, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, Where are you uh, from originally?
2: I'm from Ohio, Cincinnati. Uh, Okay,
0: nice. What was it like growing up there?
2: Growing up in Cincinnati was... Awesome. Uh, I was born and raised there, lived there till I went uh, to college mm-hmm. uh, also in Ohio, Ohio State. Um, it was great. Uh, I, I was, a, it was a small like farm town. everybody kind of knew everybody. Um, which eventually became like a mid sized farm town and people uh, okay. moved in as people bought up more of the farmland. Um but it was uh yeah, it was great. Everyone was really nice to everybody.
0: Yeah, were were you interested in comedy back then at all?
2: Not really. Um I wasn't really into it in any serious way until college. Uh I always liked like Daily Show and uh my grandpa would always have us watch MASH and that was like kind of oh, it. Yeah. <laughs> but I thought I was like gonna be a doctor or whatever. Oh, really? Yeah, my dad, uh, you know, child of an immigrant who's super smart, total self-made man, and the kind of the deal is you're a doctor, or a lawyer.
0: That's funny. I'm also the child of an immigrant. My mom's from India. And, uh, yeah, the same thing. She she was very much, wanted me and my sister to become uh, doctors. She's a dentist.
2: Okay, good for her. Good
0: for her, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and now
2: we're both doctors. Yeah,
0: yeah. everyone's a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's interesting. So were you? So you weren't really doing uh, watching much comedy or, or doing uh, anything like that.
2: Not in any like serious way. No, I, I wasn't like anti, but right. Yeah. Um, no, I wasn't really interested. And then I kind of just on a whim tried out for um, Ohio State's improv group, Eighth Floor Improv, and then uh, that sort of shifted everything. Very oh, nice.
0: Were you when you went to college? Uh, you were just going to focus on. Being a, you're gonna become a doctor.
2: Well, my like declared major when I first started was neuroscience, and then that very quickly became a psych major, and then eventually I just dropped out. So. Oh wow. <laughs> diminishing degrees of dedication to my education.
0: What did you? What did your parents think when you dropped out?
2: They were uh, understandably very disappointed. Um, my dad especially, <laughs> because you know I'm smart <laughs> and could have uh, could have stayed in school but chose not to um, uh-huh. so he was rightfully uh, unhappy with the decision and has now since warmed up to it now that I'm able to support myself with the thing that I dropped out of college right. for but it was definitely a, a long process that required a lot of um, heartfelt and honest difficult conversations right I can
0: imagine my friend uh, Jack Gilbert, uh just dropped out of ucla shout out to jack gilbert wow sophomore for the or, same
2: thing or yeah
0: to do comedy stuff all yeah. right
2: well good luck jack it's really
0: hard <laughs> he's, got, he, he's got a spank at ucb sunset uh at five thirty, december 14th so okay so go to do a spank and, and, and laugh a lot so that uh the dropout was worth it
2: give him a run uh
0: so yeah so when you drop out do you would do you know what you're gonna do or go
2: well, when I did, I, I did, uh, because I it... wanted to do comedy. I wanted to move to New York. I had already had enough like internship and regular work experience where I was kind of like, all right, we'll be able to maybe cobble together PA work or transcribing or something like that. And, you know, kind of knew that it was a silly decision, but still really wanted to do it. But mm. I had a very clear goal in sight, um, which was move to New York and, you know, take classes and start doing shows and begin to do as much, like, low-level TV work as I could.
0: Mm. So did you uh, start so you started taking classes, like, right when you got here?
2: Yeah, I'd, I'd interned at uh, Daily Show in 2015 when I was oh. a junior in college. Uh, so I'd started taking classes at UCB then, and then I finished as soon as I got back in town. I basically just worked, like, 700 nannying jobs and okay. was transcribing for a bunch of shows, um, which is just, like, you know, t- uh, like I would do raw footage for, like, Daily Show or like any Comedy Central thing or whatever and take all the like four hours of footage and type out it word for word. One time I did a Jeff Ross special and I had to watch like, I mean, like eight hours of footage and type it out word for word, uh, the same special three times. And it's like so harrowing to know. By the end, I like knew all the jokes (laughs) (laughs) word for word and could distinguish when he had kind of changed around the wording of something, which is... Oh, so you watched one.
0: like three tapings for the, for the special? Yeah, oh, and I all see. the raw,
2: like he, had, he went to a prison and oh, recorded yeah, yeah. a stand up special there. Mm-hmm. So it was all the footage of him walking around the prison and meeting inmates oh, and all wow. that, like just the conversations and stuff, but also just like the whole set too. So it was a lot, you I know, mean,
0: whatever, it doesn't matter, but it was uh,
2: <laughs> definitely the worst of the jobs. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> what was it like uh, interning at The Daily Show?
2: It was awesome. I mean,
0: this was still uh, John Stewart was there.
2: Yes, yeah. Um, It was great. It was so fun. I mean, it was like a lifelong dream, and I kind of like begged my way into getting a spot there, and um, you know, I had I had always wanted it, Um, so it was you know total dream come true and. Even just like getting to go there for my interview, because um, I like cobbled together the money for a plane ticket to go interview, and oh, wow. cause I was like well I'm gonna like pull out all the stops, and um even that was like insane to me, so everyone was so nice, and you know I met people who ended up hiring me later and stuff so that you know they, they really take care of the people who intern there and are like really care about what they're doing
0: mm-hmm. And so, uh, you come back to New York, Mm -hmm. you're doing, uh, UCB. Yeah. Uh, when do you start, um, I don't know, when do you start feeling like this is like the right decision to do this?
2: I didn't really feel like I had made the right call until I got hired at Full Frontal because at that point I was still, up until that point I was still sort of cobbling together rent and like I was selling mattresses at, uh, Casper, uh, so oh. shout out to Casper.
0: <laughs> I'd love for them to advertise on this. That'd be great. <laughs> um,
2: but, uh, yeah, you know, I like, I, 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 still was not supporting myself doing it and I was kind of like, what am I doing? Oh my God. Um, so that def- I felt legit when I had an actual job.
0: Mm-hmm. And you were also besides UCB, you're doing stuff at the uh, the Annoyance.
2: Yeah, primarily doing stuff at the Annoyance. Mm-hmm. I went through classes at UCB, which I loved, and we'll perform there occasionally when asked to perform on like a variety show or something. But the majority of my performing experience for the first couple of
0: years of being here was at the Annoyance. What what drew you to the Annoyance?
2: Well, I def- I knew people there, which helped. And then mm-hmm. I was I also took an improv class there. I didn't go th- all the way through the program, but I took a class there. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, it's just, it was such a like gross, fun, dingy place where you could really feel like you had to experience, exper- you, you could, you felt like you could really experiment, which was mm. exciting. It was a, it was an easier place to fail than some of the other places where I kind of felt pressured to do like my most polished stuff. Um, oh,
1: interesting.
2: not to say like I wasn't trying, but y- you had more of a sense that you could do something and it could tank but at least you tried something fun whereas other places that i performed and this is partially like in my own head but partially i think just you know it being a larger institution it uh it was harder to feel like you could do something really weird
0: and like risky in quotes (laughs) Mm -hmm. comedy scenes in general i feel like are uh pretty clicky i guess was it how easy was it to get involved uh over there
2: I mean, that that one was sort of just a natural fit. I think my, like, overall vibe and aesthetic of being, like, sort of a dark, gross weirdo yeah. <laughs> fit in very well and quickly there. So that, I mean, almost immediately became, like, my group of friends, and I started doing Holy Fuck Comedy Hour um, a few months after moving back, um, which was, like, my favorite thing to do for the first, you know, as long as we were doing it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so there's no more uh, no more annoyance.
2: Yeah, so we still perform uh, monthly as uh, a group called $700 Rules. But yeah, we oh, don't okay. have the um, weekly space anymore, which was so fun. I mean, because it was, you know, we performed every Thursday at 10.30 and it was a free show and it was just like, had this sort of following after a while because you knew you were going to see people just like throwing shit against the wall mm-hmm. and people knew what it was, you know, you weren't always, you weren't going to see like really like scripted polished stuff, but you were going to see a bunch of, like, funny people who had a relationship, you know, performed together every week uh, for a long time, so you're going to see fun stuff.
0: (laughs) Uh, How difficult is it when, like, your home theater kind of closes, and then, like, so now it's kind of, like, I guess it seems more separated and stuff. Yeah,
2: it's definitely scattered now. I mean, it it was a bummer. That place, I think, meant a lot to a lot of people, Um, but, you know, it's just money stuff, Uh, but... Uh, it was definitely, a, it, I, I was bummed about it. Uh, I think a lot of people were. So we're definitely, you know, it's spread out and people are still performing and everything. But it's it was so nice to have sort of that clubhouse.
0: Right. So you, for the Holy Fuck uh, Comedy Hour, what, what kind of uh, stuff would you do? Like, would mostly character bits?
2: Yeah. I mean, people, we would have sort of stand ups come on and guest on the show, but the the, you know, cast that, was set every week. Mostly was doing either solo or group sketches.
0: Mm-hmm. What's your uh, like process for coming up with uh, like solo stuff?
2: Um, I mean, it kind of depends. Normally, I'll think of like a line or something that I think is really funny, and think about like what kind of person would say that thing, and then jet like generate a bit around that. But sometimes I'll see like a really ugly wig or something like that. <laughs> but you know, it it really just depends on the thing. Um, it's normally like ty- I It's definitely more like, person-driven than
0: premise-driven,
2: if that makes sense. It's right, not like, yeah. what if someone was this? It's more like, wow, there are a lot of, like, similar people on Real Housewives or something like that. <laughs> oh,
0: interesting. I didn't think... Of, like, reality TV seems like it'd be a good place to to get characters.
2: Yeah, it's definitely, like, well-trod territory, but uh, mm-hmm. won't stop me from doing it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, so at the Annoyance, is this where you met your uh, comedy group, the three, three Busy Debras?
2: Well, we actually all took classes at UCB and kind of had... Um, you know, mutual friends through that, so we met, like, a month after I moved to New York, but kind of all knew of each other, or had met before, um, and people had been telling me, you know, like, you gotta meet these chicks, because we were, I think we were all getting a little frustrated by being, like, younger folks on the scene, and having people sort of talk down to us, despite having the same amount of, like, experience with class, and stuff like that, so, you know, it was kind of, a. Uh, that was sort of the impetus for us to meet up and just be like, hey, like, I'm also, a, a like, a teen. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, you know, we really hit it off. And um, the first time we hung out, we uh, went to bring your own team at UCB and did, like, a five-minute improv set where we accidentally named all the characters Deborah, and, you know, haven't <laughs> had a single idea since.
0: <laughs> oh, that's where, like, the, the team name came from. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting because, like, I... Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, I'm I'm 24. I just turned 24. Me too, yeah. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I even like I, I I used to live in LA, and even there, I feel like extremely young, like doing stuff. So I can't I can't imagine like New York seems much more difficult to do that kind of thing. I feel like I don't know why New York just seems more difficult in general to me.
2: <laughs> I I mean I think they're difficult for different reasons, but yeah. I you know I I definitely feel I have less of a complex about it now that
0: mm-hmm.
2: I've just lived here longer, but it's definitely something. I mean, people like to, you know, throw their weight around whatever way they can, I think, sometimes. Right. But, you know,
0: whatever. <laughs> so when you when you start working uh, as a group, as the Three Busy Debras, do you guys immediately start doing uh, writing together and whatnot?
2: Pretty much. I mean, we, loved, we had so much fun the first time we hung out, just as friends, but, like, comedically, I think, immediately, we enjoyed doing stuff together. So we started meeting up to work on a different thing, but then we got asked to do this 10-minute play show called Four Play, which was like four 10-minute long plays. Mm-hmm. So like, oh, that Deborah thing was really like silly and fun. We should just write that for this. Um, and then that, we performed it, and it was so fun that we made it a 20-minute play, and then we made it the hour-long play that we performed weekly at Annoyance for like three months.
0: Oh, wow. How, how, how What was the process for doing like an hour... Of not not sketch, but like an actual play.
2: It was um. I mean, we just met a lot, and we were all working like weird jobs. And Alyssa was still in college at the time, so we would meet like eleven p.m. to one a.m. on like Wednesday night or whatever. You know, we would meet a few (laughs) times a week and just sort of talk about the what we wanted the flow of the show to be and what the order of the bits is because it was sort of nonsensical and a lot of like um like subsequent non sequiturs where it was just like, there's no real order to anything by design. Um, So it was definitely like a long process of figuring out like, okay, how do we get from this thing to this
0: thing? Mm -hmm. And,
2: but it was fun. It was, uh, it was, it was very cool. It was just to fall into that right away moving here was very lucky.
0: When you're doing like some nonsensical bits like that, do you worry about like a through line for like the audience
2: no, I mean we had sort of a loose through line, but the the whole show was based on around chaos and I think you just had to accept that you weren't going to get answers or have a yeah. you know a, a real through line to like tether yourself to. Mm-hmm.
0: And and then you you guys did a show at uh, Carnegie Hall. Yes. Was it was it this was it this play?
2: No. Basically, we wanted to do the play in New York one more time, but we're having trouble finding a like satisfying venue because we didn't we wanted to do it at a space a little larger than the annoyance. Um, but it was just we were finding it difficult, and you know, Alyssa kind of offhand was like, "It'd be easier to rent out Carnegie Hall," and then we're like, "Well, let's look at it." And it ended up being a lot cheaper than we thought to rent this smaller room. Um, So we put up the Kickstarter for it, and we're kind of like, well, this will either be such a dumb idea that no one will give us money, or it's so dumb that everyone will give us money, and (laughs) it ended up getting funded. So then we were like, oh, my God, we have to, like, write a new show. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) So we wrote, like, a two-hour-long musical that had more of, like, a traditional story, and we wrote some original music for it, and enlisted a lot of our friends to like serve as audience plants and all this stuff so it was pretty intense the months leading up to it just meeting up constantly and producing and writing and memorizing and choreographing and you know just overall arranging this huge project but it was so fun I mean it was very overwhelming and stressful at times a lot of the time because it was basically like an additional full-time job but right yeah it uh it was totally worth it and you know we made the show free so we could fill up the room and just also so we could give our make sure all of our friends could come see the show and it was very exciting
0: what's it like uh writing songs for like a musical
2: well none of us had any experience with that but we enlisted our friend henry kapersky to help us and he is this amazing pianist and composer and he was really responsible. We were like, okay, we kind of wanted to sound bluesy, and he was like, well, what about this? We're like, you're a genius. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that was really, you know, we we did lyrics and stuff, but that was really him mm-hmm. that made the stuff sound good.
0: And so, you mentioned also, it was like it was more like a traditional story. Mm-hmm. D- did you uh, like 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 doing like your kind of sensibility in that, or
2: it was exciting? I mean, we hadn't really done that before, just because. Up until that point, we had just written the stage play
0: mm-hmm.
1: and
2: other shorter videos that didn't really need to have an arc to them. So it was an exciting challenge and a really cool opportunity to sort of push ourselves and try something new.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned earlier you, were, you worked at Full Frontal. How did uh, how did you get that job?
2: Well, I had um, interned at Daily Show, um, so there's a there's like a you know a ch- good chunk of that staff that came from Daily Show, um, you know, Sam, notably, uh, but, uh, <laughs> but other people, too, and uh, one of them was uh, this guy, Miles Kahn, who's one of the executive producers on the show, who I would kind of stayed in touch with. He was a senior field producer at Daily Show and just kind of, like, hit it off with him, and he was, like, following me on Twitter, and we'd stayed in touch, and he saw that I was, you know, doing shows and writing a lot and doing stuff for Reductress and stuff, and... Just generally, we were like still in contact and aware of each other. And um, I had been doing a bunch of like PA work for him and just transcribing and various crap that uh, he yeah. very generously arranged for me so that I could pay my rent. Um, and eventually, he was like, "Okay, there's going to be this new show. Would you be interested in coming in to interview you to be writer's assistant?" And then that kind of all came from that
0: and you had uh obviously never been a writer assistant before what no. was what was that like like the first day coming in well
2: it was super overwhelming i mean i was there one of the earlier hires on the show so for there was a very like a couple weeks there where i just didn't know what i was supposed to be doing all day uh and oh, interesting I, I was pretty overwhelmed i kind of reached out to other writers assistants that i knew but they were all on shows like daily show that occurred every day. And so, you know, we, here's our general advice, but we don't really know how to help you. Okay, great. (laughs) Um, But you know, you kind of, with that kind of stuff in a new show, you sort of make your own position. Obviously there's some characteristics of that kind of job that translate across the board, but you have to kind of adapt to the needs of the head writer and the writers of the show and the host of the show and just figure out what your job is and what your place is in the grand scheme of the show. So it was exciting.
0: What were your uh, like duties or responsibilities as a writer's assistant?
2: Well, my job basically. Um, so one of the main ones is like taking notes at every meeting, um, and just having a sense of like what's useful and what's not, and making sure that there's like a clear. It's important to take good notes and be like a quick right. typer and arrange everything in a way that is intuitive primarily for the head writer but also just for the writers to consult later and hear jokes that were thrown out and like got a big laugh in the room or something like that and just have a general map of what they need to be doing um and then you know serving as a liaison between the head writer and the writers to make sure that everybody knows what they're supposed to be doing and what their deadlines are and holding the writers to those deadlines and coming to the head writer and being like okay actually the writers aren't going to meet their (laughs) deadlines so uh please don't be mad (laughs) um and you know arranging for stuff within the with the other departments, you know, meetings and stuff like that. And then, you know, taking notes in the rewrite. Basically there's a rehearsal, the day of the taping, a rewrite where they're like, okay, this worked, what didn't work. Uh, and then you go line by line and punch up the whole script. So I would be the one that was actually making those edits, which was a great time for me to get jokes on the show. Um, oh, yeah. So that was kind of like my moment was just like, I mean, they, they are very great at Full Frontal about letting a joke kind of come from anywhere. And then... Um, Yeah, making those changes and rewrite. And you just kind of are the link between the writers and the rest of the show, making sure they are able to do the work that they are responsible for doing, but also making sure that the other departments get what they need from the writers.
0: So when you, uh, like, so you felt comfortable, like, pitching jokes as a writer's assistant?
2: It took me a little while. Mm -hmm. Um, Miles and Joe Miller, uh, who was the showrunner and head writer for the show, um, were very kind about make and you know they they made a point to say please feel like you can pitch jokes and it still didn't really feel I I kind of thought they were saying it because they like felt bad for me or something like that (laughs) and then after a few weeks I was like okay I think why would they say it if they didn't mean it um so just getting a little more confident and secure in my place in the room and what I could bring to the table joke wise and just feeling like I was funny enough to do it but they were very Open to it, which was nice.
0: Mm-hmm. There's must be like a lot of pressure, like doing a uh, a week a show that has to like like tape this time and be out that night. Mm-hmm. Is is that true?
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's definitely pressure. I mean, because you know you you have to have it edited and done at um you know at the right time so that the network can get it. You, you can like send it to the networks. They can mm-hmm. actually air the show. So. Um, it's definitely, you know, at a certain point you just have to stop editing and make the show, which is cool. It's a good exercise in relinquishing control and just letting your thing be done and moving on to the next thing.
0: Is it kind of a a weird place to be where you're like the writer's assistant, but you want to be, obviously want to be a writer?
2: Um, it wasn't that weird. I, because it was my first TV job. So I, I feel like I got a ton of really valuable experience just seeing what was going on. All, throughout all the departments, just because mm-hmm. writer's assistant has to talk to everybody, kind of, um, at least at full frontal. So that was super, super valuable. And just so I could be comfortable in a room, especially as time went on, I felt a lot more comfortable pitching jokes and just, you know, you get to know people better. So you have a better rapport with them. Mm-hmm. And then I was also able to do work for the digital department. So I was getting some, you know, I, w- I was getting to write, um, albeit not. Consistently for the show, but you know, it uh, it was, I still got the experience that I wanted, and then once I felt like I wanted to move on to be a writer, I started submitting elsewhere and got hired a president show. But I, I definitely wasn't like angry all the time or anything, yeah. I was like, this is cool, I still like it.
0: <laughs> what was the kind of uh, stuff you did for digital?
2: Um, I we we got to you know, it was kind of like whatever they. Allowed us to make. So we got to make some videos. They were really cool about letting me, that was kind of my outlet for all my weird crap. So I could do like, um you know, medium pieces or whatever about like, I would just write like conspiracy theories and stuff like that. And they were <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, whatever, Major. <laughs> I guess you can <laughs> go for it. <laughs> um, and then, you know, also digital entailed like, you know, all the boring stuff like copy for YouTube videos and whatever. But you got to also write jokes for the Twitter and have your writing in the voice of the show still go out somewhere.
0: Did Did you like, uh, from, from doing that, did you learn anything about like doing comedy online?
2: I mean, I, I had been
0: on Twitter prior to right, that. Yeah. So
2: I, I definitely learned it was, it was kind of a cool lesson in writing for someone else's voice. Definitely just that like the whole experience of working at the show was my first experience doing that.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So the, the, all of the social media accounts also needed to be in the voice of the show, unless it was, like, one of the conspiracy theories or something
0: like that. And and you mentioned you're on Twitter. Uh, you're, you've got a very good Twitter. Thanks. And, uh, <laughs> how do you, like, build a, a build a following on Twitter?
2: I mean, I definitely haven't uh, – I mean, I, I've been on Twitter for a few years, so I guess just that. And, you know, people – like your jokes and then you get more followers
0: (laughs) it does seem like it's that simple
2: it's definitely i mean i think there are there's definitely like a contingency on twitter of people who sort of like play the game but i you know like actively seek more followers or whatever but um yeah i don't i don't really have that in me so i don't do that (laughs)
0: for a while, I thought I could get a big Twitter following if I just did at midnight every night and just did like the hashtag jokes. Oh, yeah. Uh, It didn't work. (laughs) I don't think, I mean, it wasn't, I wasn't, the jokes weren't that great. It was part of that. But I don't know. So like, what what is playing the the game in your eyes?
2: Oh, I I don't know. I mean, I feel like there, I think there's just people who are like on it all day and really like engage with other people on it. And I just, that stresses me out. So I can't do it.
0: And I know on, on your Twitter, you do, you've like do a lot of jokes, but you also do like, uh, very serious stuff. And we live in this crazy time now where you kind of have to be. But.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm directly affected by the current administration, as is everyone. But, you know, whenever there's anything that goes on with, like, a Muslim ban, it's about, you know, my family and seeing them again. So mm-hmm. it feels – I mean, I think there are some people who really want their online presence to be solely funny. And that's, you know, their prerogative. And that's just not the choice that I've made. But the internet is – whatever and who cares
0: and do whatever you want. (laughs) (laughs) If you're not
2: hurting anybody, I don't care.
0: (laughs) Uh, So you worked on the president show. Yes. Uh, So how did that uh, job happen?
2: Um, I mean, I just submitted. Um, I had, I knew Anthony already because he was my improv 301 teacher. Oh, nice. Um, And then I knew Pete because uh, I had interned at late night with Seth Myers um, while he was working there still. Um, And, I uh yeah so I just did I sent in a packet they liked the packet I came in for an interview and then a couple of days later I had the job <laughs>
0: <laughs> What was like the packet like cuz I was a, the show obviously hadn't aired yet or anything
2: Yeah the packet was sort of not anything that really was relevant to what the show ended up being but they just needed to see what your voice was so mm-hmm. there were some more cuz they had us writing like more traditional monologue jokes which obviously did not translate into the final product of what the monologue was Um, it ended up being more of this press conference thing, which was much more conducive to, you know, the way that Anthony delivers jokes as Trump. Um, but yeah. And then, you know, some field pieces and some studio pieces. So I'm sure some people's stuff actually made it onto the show. I don't think anything from mine ended up actually making it on the show, but I could be wrong and sorry.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And Um, so, uh, how, how was like, you mentioned to like. It was the original idea that it was going to be like a late night, like a straight up late night talk show hosted by Trump.
2: Well, I think they were still figuring it out, and you know, it was a late night talk show hosted by Trump. Uh, So, in that sense, yes. Uh, (laughs) But uh, it definitely changed as time went on because you just have to be in the space and deliver the lines, like as you know, to to the audience and see how it feels. Every every show like that, every late night show has test shows, and you watch the show. It was the same deal with Full Frontal. There were test shows where Mm -hmm. the show drastically changed from the first test show to the first show that actually aired. So I think that's normal, but especially something where you're walking as fine of a line as having someone playing Trump. It's like, how do you make fun of someone who says these horrific incendiary things without just saying those incendiary things?
0: Right. Um,
2: But it worked out.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, after... Did you find like even changes once you started doing the show from like episode to episode?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think any... Any show does that, right. um, so yes, uh, it uh, it definitely. I think you you just get better. You get you get better at you figure out what your process is, and you figure out you you hone in more on what the voice is and what works and what doesn't work. And sometimes you have to do something to know that it didn't work. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I I mean I think the show got better and better as time went on, as like any you know practice does.
0: Mm-hmm. And okay. so. The show obviously came from uh, Anthony Tamandic's impression. Mm-hmm. So, what was it like, like trying to finish like a show around that uh, that thing?
2: I mean, I think it, uh, you know, it was definitely a process. Uh, but it the nice thing is, I think Anthony takes the responsibility of that character very seriously. He's a very intelligent good thoughtful man who's also very funny but all, like really t- took the responsibility seriously and I think that made a huge difference to just be having a constant dialogue about like what we could and could not do and what worked and what didn't and just someone who really cares about what he's putting out into the world when it is something that you know dire to some people many people
0: and that's interesting what, what are the things like that you'd say you can't do
2: I mean I think you know You can't actually say horrible things about women like Trump says, you know, like that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. You it's just a fine line. You have to be commenting on it without actually doing it. You can't actually say, you know, racist things. It's not funny. It's not it's not okay. So it's but it's but it is threading the needle of finding a way to satirize that and make a comment about that without actually saying the hurtful
0: thing. Is it is it difficult to, like, satirize Trump in a way? Because it's a show uh, made by left people for, like, liberal people, mostly. And so is it difficult to kind of uh, find the joke that isn't just, like, you know, like, to give a bad example, like, comb over in chief and stuff, you know? Like, to, to actually, like, give a good, like...
2: Well, that was kind of what I think was great about Anthony's take on it, which was, like, we're not going to talk about... You know, the easy stuff and, mm-hmm. you know, the, the staff in general, like Pete and the EP, Jason Ross at the time and Nangle and stuff, everybody, everybody was like, we're going to, we want to talk about the actual cycle, psycho, like psychology of this person right. and the actual behaviors of this person and the implications and ramifications that they have on the world that we live in. So it wasn't just like, oh, he's fat. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you know, like, like the, you, and you see that on shows or like mm-hmm. he's orange Like, and and, like we know (laughs) we, we all, you know, exist in the world that he lives in. So we know that shit. Uh, we don't want to talk about that stuff.
0: There's so many, uh, political satire shows and now like, you know, pretty much every late night show has to talk about Trump now. Yeah. So how do you like stand out from, uh, from that crowd?
2: I mean, I think, you know, every show is unique and is written in the, voice of its host or ideally would should be uh (laughs) and so every what everybody says is ideally or hopefully going to be different so i think just by virtue of writing and tailoring your writing around a host you're going to say different things and talk about different things Mm -hmm. and then you know there's always going to be some big event that everyone's going to talk about but having a having a sharp take on it and then and then if you don't have a sharp take on it don't do it
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's interesting too because um your voice, your your like your own unique voice is very different from like a late night talk show. Would you say? Would, I mean, would you say it's true?
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I I'm a huge fan of that world, particularly like the Stuart Colbert era and like Sam and Anthony and you know just that. But that like I grew up on Daily Show, John Stewart, so it's not hard for me to tap into that stuff because I love it mm-hmm. um, and I I really care about politics and, um, have always been politically minded. So it, it's fun to get to do that. And then also it's very important for me to have outlets where I can be weird and, you know, go on stage and wear
0: wigs or whatever. <laughs> do you ever think of like a joke and you're like, you're about to pitch it, and you're like, oh, that they're not gonna, that's not gonna fit for this.
2: I sometimes will like stop myself, but for the most part, I'll just say it because I've been pleasantly surprised by what mm-hmm. hosts are willing to say. Yeah, <laughs> and like, and that's the exciting thing is like, sometimes you say stuff that's too weird, and it's not gonna get onto the show that you're working on. But sometimes they're like, oh, that's really funny. Like, what I'll say it, <laughs> <laughs> or some version of that. Like, they might not use the slang that I use, but the essence of it might make it into the show. So. I I think I have a good ta- like a good um filter for what will what they'll like and then once you know the host or the showrunner like with the sitcom I was just on like I kind of had a sense of like oh I think this might like like tickle my boss and like even mm-hmm. if they don't use it they'll probably
0: laugh so uh what do you think is like the role of political satire today?
2: Um I I mean I think it's I uh, I still think it has to be fun. has to be funny. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, the role is just to I, I think people are right to say like we're not a news source. Like the, a lot of, a lot of hosts are very quick to are very careful to say like, do not get your news from us. watch the news and then come process with us and laugh with us. Uh, I think that's kind of the like process and relief. Is kind of the role, at least for me. That's always what, like John was for me was like a, you know, a, a lighthouse
0: sort of. It's kind of interesting because um, I, I do think that yeah, there's a lot of like catharsis in like uh, a lot of these shows.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's what Sam's great at. I watch mm-hmm. her and I feel angry about the same stuff. So it's exciting to see someone be like, wow, isn't this shit fucked up? Yeah. It is.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then you, you, uh, you wrote on the soon to be released TBS show, uh, Mm -hmm. Miracle Workers. How did that uh, happen?
2: Um, Simon Rich, the creator and EP and all that stuff, uh, saw some of my writing, Um, just stuff. It was cool because I, at the time I didn't have like a half hour sample or everything, which is what, typically i think most, most traditionally gets people hired i mean I, i'm so new to the sitcom world so i mean i might be like just talking out of my ass but uh he saw like essays that i wrote uh stuff that was like published on split cider and stuff or reductress and that was kind of stuff that i just did for fun and i didn't ever think would lead to anything and it was really cool to be like wow everything sort of mattered and doing the stuff for fun was what got me hired. Like it was just, you know, this essay about a woman who like ate marbles or something. And that was the one that he like loved and quoted to me. And it was crazy. It was like, I can't believe you read that. I'm sorry. Wow. (laughs) But it was cool. It was like, man, all the stuff that I, I did just for fun and the stuff that I sent in just because I had it written and I didn't want it on my desktop anymore, ended up making a difference. And It's not always going to be that way. There's going to be some stuff that's like just fun and no one ever reads it or cares about it. But it was cool to have someone be like, no, I saw it and I liked it. The stuff that was like most you was what got you hired.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I've never heard – I've heard of people getting hired off of a Twitter account or I've heard of people getting hired from like a half half hour or something. Mm -hmm. I've never heard of like like a McSweeney's piece or something. Yeah. That's, that's awesome.
2: It was very cool. I mean, I don't know how... I, and Simon's just, like, such a, a voracious reader and, like, right. really tries to be on top of that stuff. And I think it helps that he is constantly writing essays and books of essays, and that's so his thing that I think it makes sense that he... That is a route for him to find people and sort of discover them. Um, but, I, I mean, I, I don't think it's going to be the, the case for, like, everyone and every <laughs> job, but I think for him in particular, it checked out.
0: And so uh, what was your experience with sitcom before getting hired?
2: None. I'd never tried to write one and, you know, I'd watch them, but I just had no concept of like the format or I I just didn't, you know, and then as soon as Simon sort of broke it down and was like, here's sort of, you know, generally like the act structure, I was like, oh yeah, I guess like every show that I watch sort of is like this, but I Mm -hmm. I just didn't know anything.
0: So, so like he, on like the first day was kind of like, this is the, the structure of the show.
2: He, I mean, it wasn't really like, it, it, it sort of b- made itself evident where it was like, oh, I guess, yeah, like the low point happens at the end of act two or something like that. Right. Um, where he 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 does such a good job of running a room in, in, with so much structure that you you don't feel lost at any point. And if you do, it's really safe to be like, what's happening?
0: And, and you had to go to LA for that, right?
2: I did, yeah. What
0: was that, what was that like?
2: Um, I mean, it was fast. I had like a week to move. Um, oh, wow. So that was really intimidating. I hadn't really spent any time there before. I'd spent like a couple days there for meetings, but had never like, I'd i gone from like the Airbnb, I was staying to the place where I had the meeting and then like, back to the Airbnb or something. Mm-hmm. So I really did not know anything about LA at all. Um, so being thrown into a new city was weird, but it was, you know, nice to have a job to go to every day so that I wasn't just like crippled by loneliness because it can be <laughs> very isolating. Um, but it was cool. People were really welcoming and you know, the other writers on the show were so nice and it definitely um was easier than I thought it would be and I I ultimately did not choose to move there, but I liked it and I liked the people that I met.
0: Did you like uh performing in LA? I
2: prefer overall, I think performing in New York just cuz L.A.'s tough because it's so spread out. Um, right, yeah. And I think there's also more of a sense of, like, someone could be watching me there than there oh, in New York. I think there's just, like, more, like, grimy, nasty venues in New York <laughs> where you're like, I mean, it's 10 p.m. on a Tuesday. No one, like, cool is watching me. <laughs> so I can, I can do this weird thing that I've been thinking about trying. Um, and I definitely... Once I got more comfortable there, I felt like I could do that stuff. But I, I definitely had the sense of, like, I need to be doing my best shit all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but but it was still fun. And I found really cool shows that I loved. I mean, there was, like, Power Violence, which I loved. And shows at the Lear Hyperion were really cool. And all the, like, Dr. Brown stuff was awesome. Oh, and, yeah. He's great. Yeah. And Hot Tub. And I went to see The Tomorrow Show before it oh, ended. Yeah. And there was a lot of really, really cool stuff that I saw. Oh, my God. And, like, Jamie Loftus, blah, blah, blah. There's a million oh, yeah. cool shows. But it just took me a little while to find them, so I was feeling a little frustrated in the beginning. But then, once I found those places where weird, exciting stuff was happening, I was like, "Great, okay, this makes sense to me."
0: That uh, Steve Allen Theater is so crazy. Yeah, it's such a cool space, but it's also like a. There's like a. I think it's like a inquisit. I forget what it is. There's like a religious thing above it. Oh.
2: Didn't they tear it down though?
0: Yeah, I think they. Yeah. I, th- I
2: saw like the second to last tomorrow show.
0: Um, yeah, I think it's yeah, I think it's gone. Which yeah, is unfortunate. Yeah. Well.
2: <laughs> rest in peace. It was really fun. Uh,
0: and so the the miracle workers is based off of uh his short story.
2: It's a it's a book that he wrote. Oh, um, it's a book okay. called What in God's Name. Um, okay. Which I had read and loved. Um, and I was also just such a huge fan of Man Seeking Woman, and you know just a huge fangirl of his. But, um, yeah, it's uh, it was based on a book, but then we sort of got to make changes and take liberty with the characters and the source material. But it was nice to have something to be like, okay, like this is sort of the beginning and the end that we're letting frame our work on the show.
0: Yeah, what, what's it like, like working from uh, a text, especially... I mean, I guess it's good that Simon's there. I mean, it would be yeah. weird if he wasn't, I guess. Well,
2: the nice thing was that he's, like, not married to the – he wasn't married to the text and was like, you know, we'll make the ch- – here's sort of the stuff that I kind of like and want to keep, but everything else, let's just write and not – don't feel like you have to be loyal to my text. I will not be loyal to the text if I choose not to be. So that was cool and freeing.
0: Mm-hmm. And It's in an uh, anthology show. Yes. So is it kind of – Knowing that there's a beginning and an end, is that kind of a little freeing?
2: It's awesome. Yeah. yeah, it's nice to know what you're building towards and then be done with it.
0: Cause yeah, cause there's when you have a sitcom, when you pitch a sitcom, at least you have to have like hundred episodes.
2: It's really cool to uh, not like not have the fear that uh, it'll go for like thirty seasons and be boring and bad at the end.
0: Right. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so. What would you like to be doing next?
2: Um, I mean, I, I kind of just want to keep doing the stuff that I'm doing now. It's been really fun to staff. It's been really fun to like get to act in stuff sometimes. Um, and like, I, I kind of am doing the stuff that I want to be doing. I think it'd be cool to write a movie. Um, that's stuff that I've been working on on my own and just like keep making my own stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, But, yeah, I mean, just getting to continue to work with Debra's and, like, work on the show that I host and work on TV shows with people that I, like, hosted or, like, made by people that I like has really been cool. I feel very fortunate to like all the jobs that I've had. Um, So I'd like to just keep (laughs) getting good
0: jobs. (laughs) It, it, It feels like there's been less comedy movies, this year. Yeah. I can only name like a handful of movies that, even that came out, let alone like that are good. Sure. It's weird. I don't know. I don't know why.
2: I mean, I think everyone's sad, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. Yeah. I, I think it's just hard to make a movie.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's definitely true.
2: But I can't, definitely can't speak to that phenomena because I have nothing to do with that world, but.
0: Have you started, uh, have you ever like, tried to write a movie before?
2: I'm working. Yeah. I'm trying now. Uh, uh I feel like now that I have a better concept of how story works after working on Miracle Workers, I, it's super empowering to have that vocabulary and that skill set to just be able to look at a scene and be like, okay, what is happening in the scene? What are the stakes of this scene? And just to have that foundation going forward um, makes me feel like I can actually write the things that I have been wanting to write. So the past few months have been very fun and empowering in that way.
0: What do you found are like the differences between doing uh, film and TV?
2: I mean, I have like no experience with right. film. But, <laughs> and very little experience with TV. Uh, well, I guess I have experience with TV. Whatever. Um, don't diminish yourself. But uh, <laughs> um, I mean, I think the thing with TV, especially like in the late night world, which I'm most familiar with, is like your show's going to go on until they tell you to stop with late night. So it's just sort of this ongoing process and refining things and thinking of new ideas and thinking of new things you can try. And with a film, it's a contained thing. So that is pretty cool. Uh, I mean, I, I'm, I imagine I'll feel the way I feel about that, that I felt with like playwriting and stuff where it's cool to get to refine and refine and refine, but then at at a certain point you have your final product. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Um, and then that's it.
0: Yeah. Would you, would you ever move to L.A., like, permanently?
2: Yeah, I think that move is maybe sort of inevitable because I love have loved staffing on a narrative show so much, and that's where most of them are. Mm-hmm. Right now, I am enjoying kind of being semi-bicoastal. Not really, but, like, <laughs> subletting my place for four months was uh, cool and fun. Uh, I mean, the process wasn't fun, but, like... <laughs> Getting to kind of bounce back and forth has been cool, but I definitely prefer having like my base be New York right now, and would like to keep it that way for a little while longer. But who knows? I'll go wherever people give me money.
0: <laughs> uh, okay, so we're gonna wrap up. Okay, with you giving your thoughts on something I wrote, America's favorite segment. Oh my god!
2: I for- <laughs> yeah, okay, great. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, it's interesting. This segment—it's always awkward. I I do it. I do it because uh, it's kind of like. You know like a like an active like comedy thing, you know, where people yeah. you see people thinking, but uh it generally the guests always question it sometimes they don't read the email all the way and then they're very surprised. And I feel bad <laughs> about that. Um, so yeah, if you're listening at home, uh, if you love the segment, let me know I might cut it from now on. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but here's my sketch idea. okay, uh, all right. And then I, I, after all that, this is the sketch idea I have, too. So it's funny. Uh, so it would be uh, a parody of Lassie.
2: Okay. Topical. <laughs>
0: Topical, yeah. Uh, so it's after... The kid has been saved from like the from the well.
2: I also um, have not. I don't know what Lassie is. <laughs> so
0: all I—that's actually—it's a, it's a
2: dog and it dies, right? That's oh no, that's that's old. That's old yeller. Oh my god! Then I definitely don't know. No, it's cool. About Lassie. It's
0: cool because it's not. It's not. It's not. It's a parody <laughs> on the trope, I guess, of Lassie, which is that uh, it's a dog uh, who communicates to his farmer owner uh, via barking. Okay. that there's a uh, a kid in the well. And then the he's like, oh, there's a, what is it, Lassie? And then it barks, and the, it's a kid, and then, it's in a well, and then they go save the kid.
2: Dog movies suck ass so hard. Is it a movie? Oh, it's, it a um, show? Oh, What's that's a good, deal?
0: oh, that's a good question. I think it's, uh, it's definitely been, turned into a turn movie. I think it was a book at first, I want to say. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't know a ton about Lassie either. Uh, although I will say, Airbud Golden Receiver, a great movie. Okay. And Beethoven as well. I think Beethoven's a good movie too.
2: Mm.
0: Right. Wow, okay. Okay. <laughs>
2: well, I'll let you uh, say your idea now that I have some context.
0: Uh, so, it's after the kid's been saved from the well.
2: Okay. Spoiler.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so the, the reporters have come to do a story on the, the, the situation. And so the kid's being interviewed and he says to the reporter, thank God for Lassie and the farmer that was having sex with her. And so then it's about... <laughs> Yeah. That. yeah, yeah, that's basically it. Yeah, the reporters. Yeah, the kid keeps talking about the dog. <laughs> <laughs> or the kid the kid keeps talking about being saved from the well? And the reporters are like, "That's interesting, but tell us more about this this farmer and the dog." <laughs> and that's uh, yep, that's my sketch, bitch. <laughs> Fun. <laughs> there you go. Wow, okay. this, this would be a cool, great way to end this segment for permanently <laughs> to retire this segment on this. Uh, <laughs> This farmer having sex with a dog.
1: Uh, <laughs>
2: um <laughs> Well,
0: just any any thoughts?
2: Um I'm not anti this sketch. Um <laughs> I mean it is weird that they can communicate with each other, so why wouldn't they take it to the next level? So
0: That that was uh yeah, that was part of it. That, that was like that yeah they're like that's how they're connected.
2: I'd say um I'm going to be uneasy with the kid having to deal with the dog fucking um, okay. if I'm yeah. watching it. Yeah. But uh, maybe, but that's part of the shock humor. So
0: I don't want to be shock humor. But my other idea <laughs> <laughs> this is my original idea, but then I thought it was too much shock humor was that a guy takes his dog into the vet, and then the vet's like, there's uh, <laughs> there's a lot of semen in your dog's stomach. Oh. And I thought that was too much. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think I, the the idea, it might just be best to abandon the dog, uh, the man having sex with a dog idea.
2: I don't think you necessarily have to abandon it. Okay, Uh,
0: okay.
2: But definitely the lassie one over the (laughs) the bat one, I think.
0: (laughs) Okay, okay. Uh,
2: That's my humble, that's my humble note, Uh, is a, let me look at the Okay, yeah,
0: it's at the very bottom. Yeah. (laughs) It's, it's, it's it must be so weird just so to read So the whole town
2: just like knows. <laughs>
0: uh, I was thinking mm, that's interesting
2: because the reporter just says it.
0: Well, the kid says it, the, to, the kid and the, the reporter it. gets interested. So
2: the kid knows.
0: The kid knows. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it must be so weird just to read that. Like, so it'd be a Lassie parody. <laughs>
2: and the kid says to the reporter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so the kid knows. So like everybody knows, if the kid knows, everybody knows.
0: Okay, okay, yeah.
2: I don't know. I don't have any real notes. I feel like <laughs> I feel like it's a perfect sketch. <laughs> it's perfect. All right, I'll
0: take it. Another perfect sketch from Alan Johnson. Uh, all right, anything you want to plug?
2: Oh, um, when's this coming out?
0: Uh, I think it'll come out Wednesday,
2: Oh, great. Uh, then, uh, like two days from now? Yeah. Okay, so I'm doing a show at Littlefield called It's a Guy Thing, um... Uh, with amazing... I host it with Patty Harrison and Katherine Cohen. Um, it's a monthly show that we normally do at Union Hall, but we're doing a special one at Littlefield called Not My Presence, and it's a guy thing, holiday party. Oh, like Pres- Not My
0: President? Yeah, Very and nice. we thought
2: that would be really obvious, but no one has gotten the joke. <laughs> oh,
0: I got it immediately. But
2: yeah, I think you have to say it out loud. It's yeah. not really um, translating over text, which <laughs> is uh, short-sighted on our part. But um, it's uh, a fundraiser for Rain, and... Um, I think it's going to be really fun. It's, you know, all of my favorite people Ray Sani, Anna Dresden, Sluck, which is Matt Rogers and Bowen and Yang, uh, Sandy Honing, Alyssa Stoneha, Peter Smith, Madison McFerrin's going to be singing. There's more guests, but uh, yeah, it's going to be really fun. So if you want to come, it's at Littlefield at 8 p.m. on Sunday, December 10th. Please come because we need people to come.
0: <laughs> all right. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of On Comedy Writing. I want to thank Nick Doss for supplying the sweet tunes, Zachary Glassman for giving us the awesome logo, and Borlock Audio for hosting us. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, and like and follow On Comedy Writing on Facebook and Twitter. See you next week!